Welcome to Happy Path Programming. I'm Bruce Eckle. I'm James Ward. Okay, well, welcome. Uh, today we have with us Flavio Brazil. Uh, welcome, good to have you. Great, thank you so much for the invite. It's, uh, I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, so it's nice oh. to be here now and talking to you. <laughs> it's a privilege to have you on. Yeah. Um, before we dive in, we yes. have an update on Winter Tech Forum. Right. It looks like, now I haven't completely got the finalization from the, um, from the hall yet, but um, it looks like the last week of February. So Awesome. Um, so it would end March 1st. Okay. And uh, uh, what is the Winter Tech Forum for anyone new? The Winter Tech Forum is the this. conference that we hold up here uh, annually, and it used to up be up here in beautiful Crested, Crested Butte, Butte, Colorado, Colorado, where there's it looks like there's going to be a lot of snow <laughs> this year, so people who want to come up and ski can do that. But um, uh, yeah, we've been holding a conference. This well, it started out as the Java Posse Roundup, and then eventually. Um, the Java Posse got tired of doing their podcast, and so then we changed it to the Winter Tech Forum (WTF) for short. Yeah, and uh, and then eventually we figured out how to do a podcast ourselves. So yeah. that's the full cycle. But um, there's a website, wintertechforum.com. I don't have the this year's dates yet because I'm I'm waiting for the hall. But the last I heard from them, it sounded like that would work. So. Cool. And it is a unconference. Well, yes. it's an open spaces it's style open spaces. conference. Yeah. Unconference has got kind of a different yeah. flavor to it yeah. at this point. But yeah, so we don't have um, speakers, but we have discussions yeah. and we see. And lightning it, talks. And lightning talks and hackathon days. And and uh, on Sunday, it looks like there'll be a ski out to the yurt for the brunch nice. there and, you know, all kinds of activities. So generally when you're here it's not like conferences that you go to where it's like oh well the official conference is over you're on your own it's like we're kind of doing stuff all the time so yeah. if you want to be with folks um pretty much all the time until you fall into bed and, and get yeah. up the next morning and you know get i mean yeah people. get coffee with yeah, yeah it's pretty much uh yeah. it's it's a very social event and a lot of technical discussions happen in the non-official times yeah. uh, of, of the conference and when people are off doing other things so it's yeah it's pretty non-stop it's well great. we hope we can get uh, some new folks up here yeah. for it this year and mm -hmm. and um yeah it's gonna be fun yeah okay on to keo so uh, Flavio, thanks for joining us. Um, you, let's see, where do we start? I've got well, so many things. <laughs> I would say, I, I would say, my impression because we went through um, the docs and tried some experiments and things. Um, my impression is that you're a big fan of Zio, but that it doesn't run fast enough for you. Is that kind of the summary? <laughs> What's the motivation? Yeah, for why, why? Why did you do this? So um, I, I'm always very impressed by zeal and like the way like it is focused on providing better usability simplifying functional programming and that's what i've been after for a long time <laughs> so if you see my projects it's always like about like simplifying things making things safer and etc um, make safety easier to obtain exactly, exactly. without the performance trade-offs <laughs> yeah and then um i always uh, worked on this domain, right? So at Twitter, for example, I worked on the Twitter future. We had a batching library called Stitch that is like like Haskell, Haskell from Haskell and other Zio query as well. Um, and and basically, um, I had like this domain like of trying to optimize uh, these libraries, providing better safety and etc. And I worked on future implementations in open source and. Arrow implementation, open source as well. So it's a theme that I'm I've been always exploring uh, for a long time. Uh, and seeing Zio to me like was really refreshing to see like the innovation, the focus of the project, and really the power that it brings like with the environment and Arrow channel. But I, I like to keep like taking new things and like trying to break it up and trying to rearrange it and try to find other ways of encoding things. Um, so Zio, I, I feel like the fixed uh, two-type parameters uh, becomes a bit clunky sometimes, right? So 
you have all the type aliases that you have to learn, or sometimes you don't need one parameter, you need the other or any of those, right? So I wanted to see ways of like making that more uh, flexible. So QO basically generalizes uh, the mechanism for the effect of rotation to have any effects, right? So it's not only environments and error uh, handling, it's really, you can define like arbitrary effects and it's based on algebraic effects, right? So, um, and that becomes like something that has better usability, that is one of the main focus for QO. But to be honest, like my passion is more about performance. I'm a perform so at Nubank, I joined a, a performance engineer. I changed teams recently, but like performance has been a focus of mine for a long time. Um, so I, I worked on these solutions based on arrows. Uh, that is basically, if you see the way that we do functional programming with monads, it's really an interpreter, right? So you mm -hmm. take like these functions and you keep invoking them and transforming values. But it behaves as a, as interpreter. So each function, can, if you have like two functions like map plus one, map plus one, uh, those two plus ones, if it were like regular Java code, the just time compiler is able to squash two plus two, right? Right. But because you are interpreting and calling those functions, they become like a separate uh, unit for optimization on the JVM, and that like defeats many of the optimizations because if you don't inline, like you don't provide allocations, invocation of the function itself, so there is a lot of overheads for interpretation. And I just think, like on the the stack and the allocations and all that, the just with with everything, when you've got the monadic effect approach, there's a lot of of different pieces that you get overhead that. Algebraic effects may provide a um, a lower cost abstraction. I wouldn't say that it's more a property of algebraic effects. It's, it's more about uh, this exploration. So if you see interpreters, there is a good way of making interpreters fast. That is project, the Futurama projections, right? So you can do partial evaluation of codes. So you can have an interpreter that works with good performance. For, for instance, GraalVM is that, right? So yeah. you build interpreters and it's able to optimize things by projecting and by staging the computation right uh, but and you, my have early... do, you have to do some kind of profile based um optimization like you you're profiling something and then and then applying the the that information that you gained in the profile to to do your optimizations exactly so. yeah but uh, from a more higher level right so it's more about having the interpreter and then trying to partially evaluate the interpreter. Mm -hmm. right? So how can I make uh, monadic computation to be staged in a way that's going to be optimizable by the just-time compiler? That's the, uh -huh. the, the question, right? So my early work on that was arrows. So you can use arrows uh, to basically produce a staged monadic composition. And then you don't need to keep allocating the arrows. You just like pipe values through the arrows. Huh. Right. And at Twitter, we had some uh, performance issues that we solved that way. Uh, but arrows are difficult to compose. Like they are, in terms of usability, they are not great. Uh, so I, I wanted to find like other ways of doing this kind of partial evaluation, staging. And in QO, what I decided to do is try to use the just time compiler itself as the staging mechanism. So I guess in some ways it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have the JVM being the interpreter for bytecode and have all the JIT optimizations there and then have another layer of an interpreter for your monadic effects and then have to eventually recreate many of the same optimizations in that interpreter. Like why have two layers of interpreters if you don't need, if you can get away with not having it? Exactly. So does that mean you have no interpreter in Kia? So uh, to achieve that, uh, what I was after is a very minimal car. Uh, so basically, if you see the cars of effect systems, they are huge, right? It's a lot of code. Um, and I wanted to find something that was like very small and minimal. So when you are applying, for example, a, map, a flat map, a map, a transformation, the implementation of the car can be in lines at the caller. Huh. Right. Okay. So if you see Kyo's car, go to the car file there. It's 200 lines of code or something. Huh. Uh, like a map transformation or effect handling transformation. They are just like five lines of code. It's very, very small. Right. So, so you don't need the like separate runtime and interpreter and all that. You're essentially like on a map call, 
that just becomes it doesn't have to go through a runtime or interpreter to to do that in Keo. Exactly, exactly. And even mm-hmm. being that way, it still has the properties of effect systems. For example, it's able to preempt computations, pause computations, to have fairness for execution, uh, and a lot of the behaviors that you normally see in cars of effect systems become separate effects. Right. So. Huh. If you see Zio's car, you have like all the logic for environment, logic for error handling. In Kyo, because of algebraic effects, this small car, you can express environments in a totally separate uh, implementation. Yeah. And so uh, the environments in Kyo is just like one file with like 20, 30 lines of codes, and it's just that, right? So I think that's also a major uh, difference of Kyo that is because of algebraic effects, this small car. The composability of effects uh, helps not only the usability on the user side, but also the design of the library itself, because you can have very isolated effects that only handle what they need to handle. They don't yeah. need to think like the environment effect doesn't even know that there is a like a, a Bart's effect or any other effects. It's just like its own yeah. isolated implementation, right? So what? Let's back up, back up a little for people who might not know what an algebraic effect is. How would you define an algebraic effect or what algebraic effects are? So uh, maybe it, let's talk about effects first, uh, because yes, I think fair. there's a lot of confusion, right? So uh, sometimes people talk about effects as uh, saying like side effects, right? So applying something, um, rotation to the world, like something that's observable, um, but the effect term in the context that I'm talking about, I think it more as like a control flow inversion, right? So for example, if you have an Abart effect, if you have something that's going to short circuit the computation, it's actually a control flow inversion, right? So at that point of the Abart, uh, of the Abart effect, you're going to short circuit the computation, uh, but it's something that um, is under the hood, right? So uh, for example, users can call like a BART uh, and a BART a computation at that point. Uh, but at that point, it's, like, uh, it's just like a suspension. So just saying like, mm. okay, I have this computation, it wants to a BART, uh, and eventually the BART uh, effects handling is going to actually handle that computation. And the- with, the, with, with the BART, I think it's it's a good example because it is giving you an opportunity to change the flow of your program in in some way but not in the imperative or monadic style in in the case of uh, what we'll get into the algebraic effects so it's it's something different and i think that that's that's where effects become hard to define is that pure functions are pretty straightforward to define but what are all the things that are not pure functions that allow you to do a suspend, allow you to um, essentially throw an error, or uh, or do something asynchronous, or you know all the different things that don't fit in the in the mold of a pure function? What do we call those things? And and there's many different categories of them, and so that's where it gets hard, I think, to come up with like a general definition of effects that's useful. It's like, well, it's kind of just everything that's not a pure function. <laughs> <laughs> I think in Kyo it's uh, even uh, it's easy to reason because um, you have a suspension of effects saying like I went to a part, I want to get something from the environment, and what Kyo is just does is just accumulates all uh, continuations, all transformations. So you have the suspension, you can do map, flat map, and you can do many other things. And at some point, a handler you are going to call a part stop run, for example, and that's going to be handling the effects. What it is going to get is basically here's the value that was uh, aborted with, like uh, the error that was produced, and here's all the continuation from the points of suspension up to the points where the effect is being handled. And that gives you a lot of freedom, right? So, for example, you could have, I don't know, maybe a trinary Boolean algebra mechanism, right? So you just like evaluate uh, the true, the false, like, and et cetera, like, within the effect itself, because you have the access to the continuation at that point. And in Kyo, uh, the continuation is a first-class value. Uh, so it's not, if you see like algebraic effect encoding, it's not really you have like a magical resume function, something that's a bit opaque. In Kyo, it's just yeah. like a regular function. It's a pure function. You can save it, you can reuse it, so you can have like multi-shot effects as well in Kyo. Uh, so huh. it's a, a very flexible in that uh, sense. And it's simple as well, like the car is just like, it's easy to, 
it's a, I would say it's a low level code, uh, the car, but at the same time, it's uh, quite um, simple. You can reason about it in a yeah. way that people can understand. Um, okay, so effects, we've got effects. And in Keo, you took a little bit different approach from Zio, where you said, okay, instead of constraining you to, which Zio does to an environment, uh, a result value and an air channel, <laughs> um, you say, hey, anything, whatever you want can be modeled through effects. And sure, you can model environment result and errors, but you can also model all sorts of other things. And so maybe give us some of the the, the other things that, that can be modeled um, through Keo's effects. Yeah, so, so what can we talk about? Um, oh, fibers. We could, we could go into fibers as one fibers example. Really but. <laughs> but maybe one uh, that is interesting as well is the, uh, I just renamed lists to six uh, sequences and the effects are sequences because it's a really interesting way. One, because you can basically have a computation and then you say, okay, I'm going to get a value out of a sequence. So you have an, a sequence of integers and you get a computation that has only one integer, right? So uh, you can like basically kind of like a far comprehension, like iterating yeah. over uh, the elements, but then you can explore uh, multiple paths, right? So you can use the sequences effects to explore, for example, multiple options that you're going to explore. And then at arbitrary points of the computation, you can have like very deep branching and logic and etc. You can arbitrarily drop uh, the current elements. Yeah. Right. So you can explore multiple options and start pruning them according huh. to your logic. So you don't need to like work on the collection itself. You have like regular codes where you can have branching and multiple transformations and at arbitrary points. You can drop one element of uh, the sequence that you are handling huh. at that point. So it's very, very flexible. Yeah. Uh, that's one example of a different kind of effects that Franks on Zio doesn't have. It's a real um, quick to to stay on that one for a second. Is this kind of like a DSL for for like sequence manipulation or something? Like, are have you almost created like like something like a um like a embedded DSL for for manipulating like almost like a lens style thing for for sequences? Am I getting some of that right, or is this totally different? I think the perspective is more or less that. Uh, but if you see the implementation itself is relatively simple. So if you have a list, you can call sequences.get as uh -huh. a list. And you get a computation that has the integer, like the value uh, there within the list and with the list effect pending. Right? Yeah. And then you yeah. can just handle that. So once you handle, you get a list back with everything. But within the computation, you can do map, flat map, you can do branching, if, else. And at yeah. some point, you can just say, okay, I'm comp I'm Within this computation that has the list effect, please drop the current element. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to short circuit at that point that specific element and take it out from the computation from what's yeah. being uh, computed at that point. So um, it's almost like a like some mechanism using effects for an early return out of some computation on a list. Exactly. Is that, it's basically yeah. filtering lists with a flexible scope. So you can filter at yeah. any points of your computation. And huh. Normally, algebraic effect libraries call these effect choices. Huh. Um, okay. So it's basically like evaluating choices and dropping them. Uh, but okay. I decided to go with sequences just to have like more intuitive names. Uh, for people. Yeah, I like that. So what makes it algebraic then? So the pattern of algebraic effects is basically you have an abstract operation where you are suspending an effect that you wanna be that needs to be handled. For example, aborting or iterating over a list. For example, uh, at that point, uh, algebraic effects is basically really at, at, at algebraic level. So there isn't really an implementation to know how to handle that. It's just like you have an object. Here's the value it was suspended with. Here's the effect it's suspended with, and here's the continuation. That's like just everything that kills has the value that of the suspension, like the error that was produced or anything, uh, the effect that is going to uh, associate to that value and then the continuation itself. Yeah. Uh, so it's really abstract at that point. And you can have effects that cannot be handled because you might not have a handler for it, right? And then at some point you call um, 
I decided to go with a high-level API for users, so you call the run methods mm-hmm. uh, on effects. So it's by convention, not by interface uh, itself. Uh, so when you call run, there's going to be a handler that knows how to handle that effect. So it's going to get uh, the value that it was suspended with, the continuation, and then implement the behavior it wants to, to have. Uh, so the, the run in, in Keo is like the materialization of the 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 effect plus the state or the 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 value the the value or function applied to the effect or the effect applied to the to the value um, run materializes those things together plus like, the continuation so every function has a continuation so you get the continuations only when you're handling effects so and it's very simple the mechanism within the car it's just like at some parts of the computation, you suspend with a value, the effect that's being used to, to, to do the suspension. And then in the handler, you get the value that was suspended plus the continuations, just like uh, these two uh, basic uh, building blocks. Yeah. And one thing we didn't dive into is the, the testing story is um, one of the things that, that we've done a bit with in Zio is the ability to like provide a non-live implementation of an effect for your your tests and being able to use like test random and feed random random uh, predictable random numbers in when you mm-hmm. run your test or something like that. Um, does Keo have any any similar ability to like provide different implementations when you're in your in your unit test versus when you're running on a live system? Yeah, yeah. So if you see, for example, clocks, you can when you are handling the clocks effects, you can pass the clock implementation if you want to, or if you're handling uh, the randoms effects, you can pass a random implementation as well. So you can inject things, but it's all uh, based on the environment's effects, right? So it's in that sense, it's similar to Zio. Okay. Um, in terms of support for is, testing, and then Keo, the Qo app default, or is that what it's called? Qo app default. The that's that was the only thing we were working with, but that's the place where it gives you the defaults for a running main app um, mm-hmm. in in the environment. And I think we dug a little bit into that where where that environment was mm-hmm. kind of coming from. Um, so. Uh, so then you would you would have some spec that would provide different things into the environment when you run your your tests of yeah. very similar to, to Zia. So I'm and used to continuations though, being associated with coroutines, but it doesn't sound like your continuations are for running these functions as coroutines. That is that correct? So um, because of the algebraic effects and slicing effects uh, more properly with Qom. Uh, fibers are a separate effect, right? So because you have access to the continuation, all this mechanism, you can implement uh, green threads and fibers on top of that. And that's what Kyo does. So if you see the fibers, it's a separate effect, like its own thing. Um, And fibers in Kyo, and that's the area that I had the most experience optimizing systems uh, at Twitter and open source and et cetera. I was able to put like a lot of the things I learned over the years uh, there. Uh, something that I felt was an interesting shift in the way that I developed those solutions was joining NoBank and having contacts with Clojure. So yeah. if you see Clojure people, they are really, really, really vigorous at like finding the best, simplest abstractions for problems. Right? Yeah. So seeing that happening like uh, at my job and like seeing the kind of solutions and etc really inspired me to try to do something similar in Kyo. So uh, in other solutions for our fibers, I had like really complex code, like lots of like more low level codes. In Kyo, I try to first like make it simple. like, And then after making it simple, try to make it fast, right? So uh-huh. going from a different direction, right? So first simple and then fast. Uh, and I felt like, the implementation got much better that way. So I think it's not much cold and it has like all the properties you expect for a ring thread fiber mechanism. So it has preemption. The preemption Qo, other libraries like C or cat's effects, you need to call yields for the fiber to use to the controller, to the runtime. Uh-huh. Qo, uh, you don't need to do that because Qo is able to pause the computation on any transformation. Because it's built on the continuation system that that is the like foundation of Keo, or 
I wouldn't say it's much about the foundation of the car. It's more the async uh, implementation itself. It's not something okay. trivial to do because when you are checking, the computation is running, and then you can have to check if you need to stop the computation, right? So pause the computation. This check is something that you have to do very carefully to make sure you don't hit any cache misses. You have you have like a code path that's going to be in lines directly into the caller, so methods need to be small. So a lot of my work with just time compilation, I worked on Graal for a while, uh -huh. uh, basically fed into like, okay, I can use like a preemption mechanism that doesn't require cooperation, for example, and explain that. So it's not much about the car, the other okay. effects, more like the fiber implementation itself. Okay. Uh, and is it all green threads or is are you actually using thread pulls underneath covers on the JVM or how does that work in your fiber implementation? There is a scheduler. Uh, it's a um, scheduler. It has a property that is also different. Uh, I worked at, at Nubank and also at Twitter on solutions to dynamically size the number of threads. Um, uh -huh. And Joe has, I would say it's a more like basic implementation. We have a much better today at Nubank, for example, but in Kyo, there is a very, it, in Kyo, in, at Nubank, the solution is like a carefully like con design control mechanism, like all like all careful things. In yeah. Kyo, I'm trying like a different approach, a simpler one. It is more like a hardwire. Hard wire. I just plug like <laughs> the signal directly on like the number of threads. So it's a more sim it's simpler than the solution at Nubank. But at the same time, I've seen it has like good properties as well. It seems to work well. Um, so it goes in this theme, right? Okay, how can I make it simpler first and then fast, right? So it's a, more or less the, the pattern. Yeah, but it is using actual um, JVM threads. Oh, yes, and then yes. is it, what's the story then with um, the future with, with Loom and Keo? And have you done any explorations around, around that? Yeah, so Loom is very promising, um, but at the same time, virtual threads, they are not cheap. Um, yeah. So if you see the memory footprints of uh, JVM virtual threads, it's much higher than FX systems in general, not huh. only Q, it's just like huh. much more uh, memory usage for that. Um, what's, what's the reason for that? If you see the virtual threads class, you're going to see lots of fields there. So there's like a lot of control and etc. So, but I, I think that's going to be optimized over time, right? So it's yeah. more like the first version. Uh, but there is a more fundamental uh, difference between suspensions in Kyo and suspensions uh, by using Loom. That is, when you are suspending in Kyo, you are suspending in line, and you are once you suspend, you are accumulating the computations that go after, right? So accumulating okay. the, the continuation. So it's really fast. The JVM is going to just like continue executing, allocating points like for whatever is necessary later for to, to resume yeah. the computation. So you're probably going to have like just, I don't know, 10 flat maps or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but in uh, Loom, you suspend in a completely different way. That is, you are executing the thread and you suspend by saving all the states that came before. So all the frames that came before. Yeah. Right? So it's going to copy all the stack and then put in the heap and etc. So that has much more overheads, right? So especially when you are doing functional programming, you already have deep nested stacks and lots of temporary values that are within that stack. All of that is going to be hold, uh, holded uh, throughout, like until the virtual threads is resume and etc. But in Kyo, because you are not suspending based on what came before, you are suspending based on what came later, I think that can have much better performance than uh, virtual threads. Um, mm. But at the same time, virtual threads are nice because if you are able to block uh, actual virtual, uh, actual threads in, on the JVM, then you can do better things. For example, I had a zero integration in Kyo, uh, but barring the fibers together from Kyo and yeah. zero plus the effects, and so, it's really hard. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I couldn't make something that was like working properly. Uh, but if I make your you depends on uh, loom and actual blocking threads, then I can handle Kyo's fibers like separate from zero, and then I can have like an interop that works well, right? So I don't need to uh, block everywhere, but I can block in strategic places uh, using yeah. loom, and that makes usability much better, like integrating with other yeah. systems and etc. It's something I'm planning to explore as well. Yeah, nice.
Um, coming back again, so algebraic effects. I let me give my my attempt at it. We've got these effects in a, in a system, and we need some way to model how the effects relate and how the computation um, works when multiple effects are are combined together into an execution. And the algebra, the algebraic part of it, is is defining kind of the the rules or structure for how those effects get get. Um, lumped together in some way and executed in in a in the right order or, or applied in the right order or something like that is that at all mm -hmm. like along the lines of what, what algebraic effects are about yeah i think um maybe just if you go to kios arts code like reasoning about the concrete uh primitives maybe it's easier um because the mechanism it's very simple. So if you have a computation in Qo that is using uh, the greater sign, we are calling it the pending type now. Uh, Which, that what's someone, the uh, word for that? Uh, pending. So pending, pending. Uh, if you have yeah, integer pending options or integer pending fibers. I, I was actually going to ask you what you called that operator. Because, okay, so you know in Qo you say like um, some... It's part of the type definition. Yeah, part yeah, of the type somehow. definition. And the, the effects come after that. After the greater than. And are anded together. Mm -hmm. um, but I was going to ask you what you what you called that. Because I think we were like, do we say um, string applies fiber, string needs fiber, string... Like we were looking for the, the terminology there. So, so the terminology you're using is pending to say that, to convey that, to get your string, you have these pending effects to be applied with with your thing to get to the string. Is that my understanding? That terminology? Exactly. Yeah. If someone, uh, I when I designed and like chose the symbol itself, it was based on like earlier versions with a different design. Um, so I didn't even think of a name. <laughs> it was more abstract to me. Uh, but someone on Discord suggested it, and I, I love it because it reads perfectly, right? So it's in the same position as as you were saying, and it's actually so it works uh, pretty well. Um, but I, I think we were discussing something else before I, I lost. <laughs> so yeah, so about algebraic effects. So we would oh. say that I've, I, I want this value, but I'm pending the application of these effects mm -hmm. that are um, anded together. They're product typed mm -hmm. essentially together. And the algebra, the algebraic part of this is describing the relationship between how those effects that are pending are th the relationship between them and the the mm -hmm. thing that we're applying them to is that yeah so internally uh pending uh computation something with the greater sign right so a q computation it has only two possibilities of states one is it's a pure value so if, if you have like a integer with uh, pending options, for example, internally it can be just an integer, so it might not be actually with that suspension of the effect. So you can have effects that are declared, but they are not in the computation. So, but internally, QO doesn't have any boxing, and that's one of the things that make it have better performance. So, if you have a pure value, it's just the value itself. Uh, but if you have a value that's actually something that has a pending effect, it's just like a, a triple. Uh, so it's basically the value you suspended the effect with, for example, the error or anything uh -huh. depending on the effect. The name of the effect, so the tagging of which effect uh, has that value because we can have different effects using options, for example, right? So multiple effects with the same kind of value. So that's why you have the value itself, plus like a tagging of the effect. And then a continuation. Uh -huh. And once you are, uh, for example, doing a map or flat map, that's just appending one more step to the continuation. Yep. Yeah. Right. So and it keeps doing that until you reach a handling of an effect that matches the tag that is there. Right. So yeah. it's a very, in terms of like the inner mechanism, it's uh, quite simple. But at the same time, I see that it's a very abstract at the same time. Yeah. So, uh, maybe so would you say the that the concrete implementation makes more like, easier. Would you say that that structure of appending things, finding the named thing, 
combining it with the continuation and the pending value, like that is the algebra, the algebraic piece to this. Like that's what makes it algebraic effects versus monadic effects or some other type of effects. I assume that's the contrast that you're saying is like, okay, monadic versus algebraic. Uh, But at the same time, it's a monad as well. (laughs) So the pending type is a monad. So it's the uh, it's um, an encoding of algebraic of effects systems. <laughs> so it's an encoding of algebraic effects in a monad, right? Because monads are great. You can implement anything. Like you can take a I don't know a JVM without async, and you can put async in it because you have like the power of controlling the control flow. That is the thing with like inverting the control flow with effects, right? So yeah. it's basically a monad, and it's interesting because. There's probably like some discussions. Oh, is Kyo like a monad or anything? But it's much. It's a monad by construction, right? So if you see the definition of uh, flat mapping Kyo, that is only map. Actually, there is like the simplification. Uh, it's just like the definition of a monad itself. Yeah. Right. So accumulating yeah. the, the transformation. So, so it's like um, particle and wave. That's yeah. Both. <laughs> it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> right, so you're saying that you're you're still using monads, but they're hidden to the pro, from from the programmer. So it if, makes it easier if the programmer think. wants them to be hidden. Well, so what we were looking at, where you said, okay, have the result and then pending, and then here are the effects. You're saying that that under the covers becomes a monad, right? Okay, yeah, so. Uh, and you can use is... Kyo in a for comprehension, which I don't think we even tried, oh, okay. um, but it is possible because they are also monads. Mm-hmm. We were only using the direct style. We're big right. fans of the direct, direct style. Yeah, we're, we're very glad that you adopted that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, because that <laughs> makes it so much easier to think about. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's part of the interesting thing is that you can you can use it as a monad mm-hmm. or you cannot. You can mm-hmm. use it as a as the um, pending types mm. and, and direct syntax or whatever. Okay. And the reason, okay, so taking a step back again, it seems like the reason that we're doing all of this is to be able to compose functions. Is it all ultimately about composability? It seems like it. I think so, and it's a composability at a deeper level, I would say. So if you see, for example, language features like implicits, right? So what you are doing there, you are injecting something. The equivalent mm-hmm. is an environment uh, effect. Mm-hmm. Right? So there are many constructs in language that are basically native to languages that you can actually express by using algebraic effects, right? Abort uh, so that's, and tries, right? Or being exceptions. Yeah. But, but and you can do that in a way that you don't tie to a specific implementation. You can provide different handlers, so you can make something more flexible, right? So I do believe that uh, uh, algebraic effects within a language uh, itself uh, could be like more native, could be like a way of like getting rid of a lot of complexity that, for example, Scala has, because you can encode things as, as effects, right? Yeah. So, uh, it's a, I, I've been exploring languages and building like uh, working on languages and implementing so it's something eventually in the future I'm planning to work on as well trying to define <laughs> a new language yeah, uh, yeah well, I, I did the rock yeah I was just going to say yeah, we've the with unison and rock it's interesting that both of them have adopted algebraic effects and as the, first class as first class things components, yes. but what a what a great way to be able to say Here's your pure functions. Here's the rest of the stuff. And the rest of the stuff is not constrained to the things that we want to support in the language. So I think a good example of this is async and suspend functions, uh, async await, like all that. Like, sure, you can have a language construct for async, but then what about environment? Then should you have a language construct for doing dependency injection? Uh, should you have, you know, and the list just goes on and on and on. And we continue to evolve the the things that we want from our language. And I think maybe the huge opportunity with algebraic effects is to say, instead of evolving the language, you evolve the algebraic effects because that gives you the foundation to be able to have something that can expand to whatever you may need. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think that's a amazing design space. I, I would expect that the languages and the like, function programming is probably going to converge to that. Um, if you see like other languages, function programming in general, like it's pretty strong on algebraic effects. So I think there's a lot of uh, possibility and potential there. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so how would you define um, composability or composition? Oh yeah, it's all about composability. Yes. That's where we're going. That's yeah, that's kind of where we're going. Um, so for a long time at Twitter, we used to use futures, right? So they were strict, not really functional, and etc. Uh, and I couldn't really see the benefits of like going purely functional and etc. Because especially of the complexities around like having lots of concepts, like, I don't know, things from category theory or like all of the complexities around those uh, solutions. Uh, but with Kyo, I'm really seeing the value of uh, having composability uh, because once you have composability, you are basically, you have a proper foundation to do inversion, inversion of control flow, for example, implementing algebraic effects, right? So um, Kyo, I think, this, the module that I'm using the most is one that I haven't documented yet. It's a large language model integration. We um, did want to get to that. So we'll, we'll, <laughs> we want to hear more, but, but yeah, keep going with your current. Uh, and because of the composability, I can build abstractions that are just much better than what you see in other libraries, right? So, uh, for example, when you are de- dealing with large language models, you have the problem of the complex size. And so some people think like, oh, now we have large contexts. It's not true because like large contexts have a lot of job drawbacks, like the quality of the completion draws uh, drops a lot and etc. So managing the context size is something complicated. Uh, so in Kyo, because I have effects, it's very easy to, to build those effects. I have mechanisms to do transactions, like transactional behavior for large language models within their context. So for example, if you are like, in a large language model, you are like in an execution with a user and you want to perform some subtask, right? So you are going to, I don't know, call a database and get some data, summarize and etc. And then eventually you are going to come back. You can use like a transaction for that subtask and then it's going to basically roll back the context to the uh, start of that subtask, for example, right? So yeah. it's a kind of behavior that once you have composability, the code's like pure and uh, etc. you can like build abstractions that are just so much more powerful than normally like regular libraries have. So the composability, you're saying, yes, pure functions we know compose, like that's, that's pretty obvious. There's other approaches that you can get to usable composability. We were exploring last night for our book, how painful the world of pre-Zio and, and pre-Cats kind of was where, um, and you know, I'm sure experienced this at Twitter, where it's like, okay, I've got a future. And now anything that I touch needs to get transformed into a future. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you lived through that like monad transformer, like, like you know, just the, the pain of all that. Or like, like, I've got an option. Why do I need to like put an option into a future? Like that doesn't, you know, like, like turn an option into a future. Like that's just silly, but you have to do it to be able to get the things together. And so Zio says, you know, take all, all your, your structures and turn them all into Zio's, the like um, Uber monad approach. But maybe algebraic effects provides us uh, a non-Uber monad approach to do composability of these effect things, exactly. non, non-pure things. Yeah, and not necessarily non-pure because uh, if you see the environment's effects, it's pure, right? So it's just function composition as yeah. well, <laughs> if yeah. you see the implementation itself. Uh, so, but at the same time, like you have to design effects well, right? So it's easy to design effects like that, just like loops forever or has some property that is like not pure, right? So uh, the designing of effects is something important to, to do well as well. But like you said, like composability, being able to compose things and at the level of effect, it's really, really uh, powerful. 
the way that I'm using Core is more like with a large language model. So I'm using it like a make like like a Uber monads for a large language model because <laughs> it have like just AI AI's effects with everything I want to to use. Uh, but there are some rough edges in Core still. For example, if you are forking a computation. Uh, there is this problem, right? So in Zio, it's easy for it to fork computation because it knows, like, it might be aborted with, like, a failure or it has to save all the environment values from the place that's forking to the forked yeah. fiber. But then in Kyo, you have an unbounded set of effects, right? So how can you make that pipe through, like, when you're forking the computation? Yeah. So uh, I've been thinking of ways of solving that. Um, right now, users have to handle effects. So if you have like, um, I don't know, a list effect, you handle the list effect, you get the list, fork that computation that's going to produce the list, and then you get back a list and then you suspend again. So you have to manually do that wiring. Uh, but I'm exploring is, ways of like providing better usability for that use case. And this is actually one of the things that I was going to ask you about was in... In Zio, one of the cool things is because it has the uh, air channel as part of the structure, you can do something like a collect all successes par, where it's going to um, you know, do, do this stuff in parallel, but then only return you back the ones that were successful. And I was curious in Kia if you'd had any thought about how you would do something like a collect all successes par, because you've got fibers and you've got, let's say, aborts. How, how do they... How do you would you need a another effect that could um, essentially know how fibers and aborts could work together to create a cl collect all successes par, or is it, is this the area that you're you're saying you're you're still um, uh, trying to figure mm -hmm. out some pieces too? For this kind of pattern, a lot of the async primitives in Kyo are inspired by the Twitter libraries because that was like something I worked a lot on. Um, so. Um, you can basically like handle things like um, if you are um, aborting, um, you can basically. Sorry, I, I missed the the thing of fraud. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> so it's, I think it's like if you've got in Kyo, you've got fibers and you've got aborts. How would you create something that essentially compose them together into something like Zio's collect all successes par? Oh yeah, and, sure, sure, sorry. Yeah. So in, in Twitter futures, uh, we normally use uh, lifting to try. So you basically, instead of uh, just parking the computation without uh, uh, handling of tries, you just like handle the tries effect. And then you uh -huh. get a list of tries, and then you can easily unpack, unpack that, right? Um, so that's uh, one way of doing that. So, But you are doing racing of only successes, but you want all the successes, right? Yeah, and yeah. then you have to know, okay. it has to know what a success is. Mm -hmm. But then it's just really try. So you can do, um, you can take your list, map it, saying tries.run, you're going to get a computation that returns a try. And then you call parallel on that list. Yeah. And then you get the list of tries, and then you can make the filtering at that point. Nice. Okay, we'll have to explore that. That'll be fun. Um, okay, a couple other Kyo specific questions, and then I want to go to the LLM stuff. Uh, so, as we were exploring things, there was one thing that we found that was that that was I don't know a little weird, and I just want to ask you about it. Was um, it's possible if you so call let's say consoles.println, and that returns a unit um, pending consoles? Is that that's all correct, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but if you we, we we at one point discovered maybe accidentally that you can set the return type explicitly of that to just unit and then you lose the pending consoles part and i think mm -hmm. that's just based on scala's the way that unit works in scala's type system um, cause we couldn't do the same thing for something that didn't return a unit it, like it would be a compile error so I was just curious, like, like maybe we were doing something wrong, or maybe that's just a limitation with, with Scala's unit type or something yeah. like that. So in Scala 2, we had the warning on uh, non-unit discarded values. I think in Scala 3, there isn't, or maybe it's been introduced. Um, that would be a case for the compiler to say, okay, you have an actual value here, and you are returning a unit, you're just discarding an actual value. Right? So Scala 2, yeah. 2 
would work fine, but I don't know in Scala 3 how it is. We'll explore the the warning options to see if we can get a, a warning for for that. That'd be interesting. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other one was we we also discovered something that I didn't fully understand the reasoning behind, which is that things like consoles are pending consoles, but things like random and clock are pending IOs, and we won't we weren't totally sure why why some things were pending its own type and other things were pending on the IOs type. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I think is a problem for a solution like Q is the growth of effects and the pending sets of effects. I think that for usability it can become a major problem, right? So you have newcomers, you're going to see like lots of effects. It's hard for people to reason about. Uh, so that's a design change I made uh, right before the, the release that some effects I thought weren't worth tracking at the type level, uh, right? So yeah. if you are using clocks, like you want to be able to inject a clock, but do you want to really track that you are actually using a clock? I, I'm not sure, but I think that's something that can be evolved, right? With the community yeah. and et cetera. But um, I try to, before the release, reduce the number of tracked effects to avoid having like all the issues in terms of usability. Uh, yeah. So for example, consoles is one that I personally want to know if a computation uses the console, right? Yeah, because that's why something... you make it its own effect versus it being exactly. just the IOs. Exactly. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. I guess this is kind of similar to what Zio did where they um, ended up taking clock and random and uh, console and taking them out of being in the environment into being um, essentially in like the, the, the Zio thing. system environment or something mm -hmm. like that because it just got like, too silly to like have all of your type definitions be have an environment of consoles with clock with random with you know like it's like all these common commonly used services just make them go away essentially and so it sounds like maybe that was some of the motivation for putting some of these like like very um common system services into just a, a standard ios um effect Something I don't like about Q's design now is uh, how per, uh, IOs is everywhere, right? So, but IOs is now basically like the base, the main effect uh, within the library, um, and it models side effects plus deferring computations and etc. And for large language models, uh, there's a problem of sandboxing of code executed by large language models, right? Um, if you are able to express the constraints of not being able to do side effects, you can more easily trust uh, codes coming from large language model, right? So, yeah. or you can more selectively say, you're going to have access to this kind of service, or you can perform side effects or not, you can use fibers or not. Uh, I think that can be a good way of interacting code bases that are both maintained by large language models and humans, right? So having yeah. ways of like having more clear boundaries. Uh, so eventually I want to try to have more like IO and uh, hygiene of the library. So only where you're actually doing side effects, you're going to have it. Uh, otherwise you won't have it as well. Uh, I hadn't thought something. about the, the relationship between code generated by LLMs and and the need for defining the the side effects or knowing the possible side effects, um, we Bruce and I were talking recently about how if your if your large language model can most of the time give you the code that you would write anyways, then why does that code even have to exist in the code base? Mm -hmm. And if you combine that with this idea of and if we can constrain the code coming from the large language model to only certain effects, then that gives us even better kind of certainty that the code that that is coming from the large language model is going to be safely executed in some way. So, so there's probably some interesting, um, interesting things there. The total side tangent. I'm seeing like a similar evolution happen in the world of WASM and the WASM component model, this idea that your core WASM can, is, is effectless. And then the WASM component model is where you can plug in the actual effects 
but your WASM expresses the effects that it needs. And if you were to take this WASM and run it on the cloud, the, the effectful pieces can be replaced by whatever the cloud provider wants to do, you know, its, its own logging thing or whatever. And so I think there's this, um, this shift happening where as we are able to describe systems, uh, the, the effects of that systems require, then we can do all this other cool stuff around them, whether it's like mm. protecting code uh, from large language models or running on a cloud environment or whatever it may be. But that like separation between effectless and effectful <laughs> effect pieces is, is foundational to being able to do some mm. of this cooler stuff. Mm. So tell us more mm. about what you've been exploring with large language models. I'm interested to hear more. Yeah, so um, something that I think is going to be a tendency for the future is maybe large language models are going to hit a wall in terms of capacity or what what they can do. Um, I believe that the way another dimension that large language models can evolve and scale to is coding, right? So instead of like having just like this simple interaction, make a request to large language model, get a response, right? So allowing the large language model to have codes around it, so that's going to be encoding behaviors, allowing it to like even self-code itself, like these kind of uh, solutions is what I've been like trying to explore in my free time. Yeah. Um, and at work, uh, I've been doing more like work, uh, basically like indexing large uh, volumes of data, uh, building knowledge graphs, searching that data, and it's really cool to use like Q and like the more advanced features because uh, I'm able to build like pipelines of like going through like a lot of data and then bringing like meaningful information at the end and etc. So it's been really nice. I, I like to keep like changing areas to work on different things and uh, <laughs> large language models. It's just like so much. So a lot to learn and do. Yeah, we're wondering if you might be considering instead of making massive amounts of documentation, simply creating a large language model that will be able to describe Keo. And then you could just ask yes. I think I'd seen a, a tweet from you where you're kind of exploring like how do you how do you make make your own Keo large language model? Uh, so that people like us can learn it more easily. And... I have to say, I mean, I started learning Rust and then ChatGPT came along when I was a good portion of the way through, you know, learning all the keywords. But all of a sudden it just accelerated my learning because I could say, you know, write a program to do this thing I'm interested in right now. And then I'm really focused on how it does it. Whether it, where, whereas if it's just some example that you came up with because you thought it would be illuminating, it's not nearly as interesting to me. And so if I could ask uh, the Keo LLM to write mm -hmm. a program to do this and then study it, that's just going to dramatically increase my... And then also, mm -hmm. if I don't understand something, if I can say, well, you know, why is this pending thing behaving this way or whatever and it explains it it's just i would say in terms of language acceptance um that's just gonna to learn new people. technology oh, yeah. it's like anytime somebody needs to learn new technology ship your llm with it mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so so what's even, tell us more about you what you've been exploring on this front or even for example migrations right so you have a new version of your language your library just hit a large language model that does the conversion, right? Yes. Or, um, yes. Even error handling and providing better usability for when users make mistakes. Um, yeah. It's a really interesting area. Uh, so yeah, it's a, a, what I'm doing at my day job. So I'm learning a lot there. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also going to be exploring in Kyo. Uh, the next big thing for Kyo, the two next big things, one is better usability for Farky computations and being effects. And the second one is the co-pilot, so building a co-pilot for Q. Yeah. Uh, I want to explore some more like uh, orthodox, unorthodox uh, approaches to build that. So just to have like learning and try to build different yeah. things. But uh, eventually, there is like techniques today that you can use, like retrieval augmented uh, uh, um, generation, etc. That also works. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm going to try like other things before. Uh, just going with the traditional. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Well, I look forward to seeing more on that from you because um, 
we've been trying to figure out like how to use LMs with the the book we've been writing and and have been somewhat unimpressed with the current state of LM stuff. So maybe if well, you can, uh, and I think some of that is just us. because it doesn't have enough. Um, maybe it doesn't have enough ZO two examples. Oh, that's for sure examples. part of it. Is, because yeah. my experience using it with Python has been quite yeah. impressive. So yeah, yeah. If we're like. Yeah. Give us the give us this code in ZO2 with Scala 3.3 with uh, no braces syntax with uh, ZO Direct. ChatGPT is like, I didn't understand most of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've not been able to get mm-hmm. very much not use not in really our book stuff much, no. um, out of out of LLMs. But if Scala and ZO have shipped LLMs for mm. And if we could combine those elements somehow. But. Yeah, I just read something this morning about small language models. Huh. And I think what Why those didn't they are, go with micro, though? Because that would have fit so well with microservices. Uh, Good. <laughs> well, I think it contrasts large, small. But uh, I think the idea is that you're talk, you, you, your language model only understands a particular topic. I think that's what a small language model is. That makes sense. So it's kind of what maybe what we're talking about yeah. here. There is, okay, so there's one more question that has been unclear to me, which is that, okay, uh, when, you're, when you've got a Keo function, it is... Uh, got concurrency. It's it's got uh, co. It's a coroutine. Is that correct? All, all Keo functions are coroutines because they have the continuation attached. Uh, coroutine is more about asynchronicity, so it's only a coroutine when you use the fibers effect. So, so you actually have fibers. To... Okay. Without it's... fibers, you are just executing within. That threads, there is nothing uh, besides mm-hmm. the handling of effects there. So it's all um, synchronous. It's when you use yeah. fibers, that you get. You okay, to so you have to explicitly that. use fibers, whereas in Zio, I think everything is running as coroutines. Well, uh, Zio executes a lot in the current threads as well. Uh, it has mm-hmm. even optimizations for that. So uh, in terms of execution, it's not very different from uh, Qo. That but it's all every every execution in Zio goes through their scheduler, and I think what you're saying is mm-hmm. that in in Keo, the only time you're going to go through the fiber scheduler, your Keo fiber scheduler, is if you're actually using fibers. If you create fibers. No, in Zio, if you run a computation, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to use the current threads. It's not necessarily always going to use uh, and fork to the. But it can uh, suspend and threads. resume those uh, functions. Yes, so maybe maybe I think we can call the uh, continuation mechanism also a coroutine mechanism mm-hmm. because coroutines don't need to be about asynchronicity, right? So it's more about manipulating computations and like being able to resume them and like so yeah, maybe we can call like even without fibers coroutines as well. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way Python works is it it only runs one thing at a time, but then it suspends and resumes them, mm-hmm. so everything tends to move forward more quickly. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, even in Go has support for JavaScript you know, using ScalaJS, and there's only one thread, right? So uh-huh. it's right. the same yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Okay. Um, one last question. Um, tell us about the origin of the name Kyo. Yeah, so um, I was born in a Buddhist um, um, uh, um, Buddhist organization, right? So uh, the, uh, that is my religion. I'm not really active uh, nowadays, uh, but it's basically the last character of the mantra of uh, the religion. Uh, so yeah, that's basically the the source and the meaning. So there's the Shakyamuni Buddha that is the original, like the historic Buddha, uh, and he has like many teachings, and each teaching is called a sutra. Mm-hmm. That is like a name for a teaching of the Buddha, and uh, Kyo is basically like the Japanese version of sutra. So that's the the meaning. Uh, the deeper meaning is more like the threads that uh, basically are the basis of our reality. Uh, so basically like the the what's like beneath uh, everything, right? So that's more or less the meaning. Yeah. So reality's run by threads. 
No, algebraic, algebraic effects, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 The, the threads of reality is algebraic effects. And, and so it's just a con- coincidence that Keo and Zio rhyme? Yes, it's a big coincidence, yes. That is funny. <laughs> Uh-huh. I, and yeah, I don't think we realized. I don't think very. My brain is not very about sound, so I didn't uh-huh. even think like much about that, or even <laughs> like the painting type. Now it was just more symbolic. Well, symbolic I read into it when I was looking at the docs. I read into it that because you kept saying, "Oh, you know, Zio is great here and there," and and then we've got this thing called Keo. I just assumed there was some sort of a yeah a connection there. So well, and you. Much. You, I think there is a lot of homage to, to Zio that, that mm-hmm. is, uh, I'm sure the Zio folks appreciate. And I haven't heard, I don't know if John's made any particular state, statements about Kyo. Um, but uh, you you said recently you were exploring some Quill-related um, things uh, for Kyo. And, and so I, I, I guess as a background, we obviously, we've talked about Zio a lot on this podcast and I'm a big fan of Zio and a lot of stuff they do, but always wondering like, what's next, you know? And to me, like what you've done with Kyo illustrated a lot of these, like, okay, there's, there's some things that maybe could be better, at least some experiments that we can do to, to see if we can help push things forward in, in certain ways. And so I appreciate all your, your work. It seems like this has been a, um, a labor of love for, for what seems like many years working on this. And, and so I'm always thrilled to see like things that try to make things better for developers, make the happy path, the easy path. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's been cool, cool to see uh, what you've done there. So thank you for and, sharing it with us. And I'm sure it's been a, been a journey. Yes. Thank you so much. I'm super excited with the project and um, I'm hoping to attract new contributors as well. So if you're interested, uh, reach out and etc. cetera. Um, I'm, I want to focus on the co-pilot because I think that's something that's a big differential once uh, there is a pilot for uh, adoption. Uh, So that's going to be my main focus. But like library needs like integration for databases. So I'm thinking Quail, uh, like lots of other things that those systems normally have, effect systems. So they all need to be built and there is a lot of opportunity for people to come and join, collaborate. That's awesome. Good. Well, All right. yeah, hopefully you can get in touch and um, make uh, the world of Keo um, better and, and wider for everyone. So. And uh, how do people find this on the web? What's your website? Getkeo.something? I-O, getkeo.io, I-O. yes. <laughs> That's uh, the website. And it's on GitHub as well. Getkeo slash Keo. Cool. And Keo is K-Y-O. Right. Good thing to clarify. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. Awesome. Anything else, Flavio? I think that's it. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been great to listen to your podcast for a long time and I'll talk to you as well. Ah, We really appreciate having you on to talk about Keo. Thanks. Thanks Thanks. for everything.